Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden of Faithful. Arthur Staple here, joined as always by my co-host, Steve Valiquette. Steve, how you doing? I'm coming to you live from New York City. If we hear a lot of sirens in the background, that's just the way things are in New York. They move quickly and dangerously. That's right. Uh, And we're coming off uh, a very triumphant night, results-wise. Maybe not the best um, game-wise by the numbers, but 8-2 is 8-2, especially when it's 2-2 after the second period. I think I saw uh, Mike Rappaport, the, uh, the Rangers PR and stats guru tweet out it was maybe the second game in the last 30 years in the NHL uh, where a team was tied and won by six goals. Tied after two and won by six goals. So uh, floodgates opening is always nice, even if it maybe wasn't the most lopsided game. Uh, just watching that one, Steve, it, it felt like, you know, if there were guys that were maybe feeling a little frustrated by some of their the, the results, uh based on the way that they played. Maybe a guy like Mika Zibanejad, who hadn't had a goal at even strength. He had two last night and probably could have had two more. Jimmy Vesey, who hasn't gotten a lot of shorthanded time, scores a shorthanded goal. Um, he's been looking good. I think he he seemed to fit in well on that top line. Uh, and the fourth line, Julian Gauthier produces a goal. Um, that line had some speed, had some pace to it, Barkley Goodrow and, and Sammy Blay. Basically, and, and you know, Adam Fox is Adam Fox. He had a brilliant night. Uh, Artemi Panarin did what he does. Chris Kreider had a power play goal, yada, yada, yada. Libor Hayek had a goal. Uh, everybody everybody contributed, which is nice to see just because uh, if there was some frustration, and I'm sure there there was after the you know the previous uh, four-game skid that, that they were on that kind of dropped them close to 500, um, you, you know, there's there's something to be said for even if you don't play the, play the, right, the perfect right way, you still come out on top and, and everybody feels good about themselves. I think it's great because of the pattern of the game and Zabanajad scoring for first is big because like you said, he hadn't scored at five on five. He, he gets going, but he gets everybody going because I think when the third and fourth line realize that your big guys are going, it's easier to jump on. They set the tone a little bit and you know, you're down two to one in the second period. And after missing a really good look on the back door on the power play, they come right back to it and they have that stick to where they, they know their looks around the net are going to be there with Kreider on the power play. And oftentimes we talk about the power play is important because you need one. And at certain points of the game, the power play changes the course of the game because it scores when you really need them to score. It's not about at the end of the year, having a good power play percentage if they score garbage goals in, in moments that don't matter. But last night's power play goal mattered and it mattered in a way that then sent the shift into the third period where adam fox another one of your core players gets the third period going now you're in the lead and then you know the the bricklayers the bricklayers take over uh the guys painted the ceiling in the first couple of periods and to start (laughs) the third and then the bricklayers take over and the, the the ceiling painters love it when the bricklayers come in and and do their work because it's again it's a team game the fathers are at the game. Everybody gets to enjoy it. Everybody played a significant role in the win, and everybody has a great flight on their way to Nashville. There, there couldn't be a better feeling. If there's anything that I miss about playing the game, it's nights like that one. You know, and I think I don't want to forget uh, Vitaly Kravtsov. And I think he had a, he had by far his best game of the year. He did have an assist, but he was he was around the net. He was behind. He was below the goal line. He wasn't putting himself in a position to get dinged along the wall uh like has happened twice to him where he's now then he's missed time um you know i think 
in training camp, this was the this was the alignment I think that that the coaching staff and Chris Drury wanted. You wanted Vitaly Kravtsov having an impact on that second line. He doesn't have to score twenty five goals. He just has to play fast and be able to to keep up with with Trocheck and Panarin. You want a guy who can combine a little bit of skill and a little bit of jam on that top line with Kreider and Zibanejad, maybe to kind of get them going a little bit if they drift. Jimmy VC is able to do that. The kid line is back together. I actually thought that they were the, that was the worst line of the four that they had. They had some good moments in the third period, but I didn't think they were good at all the first two periods. Um, and they can put some some good shifts together and cycle. Uh, and then that fourth line with Blay and Goodrow uh, and Gautier playing with some pace. And I think, you know, we they haven't really been a four-line team for a while. They certainly weren't last year. I mean, maybe for a little bit after the, the trade deadline. Um but to be able to be effective and to be able to have some, to be able to be some, you know, to, to, to be a threat five on five, you have to be able to go one through four. We certainly see it with lots of other teams that have had success in the last few years. And, uh, and Gautier, you know, I, you know, I've certainly uh, taken my shots at him. I don't, I didn't think he was much of an NHL player the way that he played last year, but maybe the, he was a guy in search of a role. He's still a young guy and, and the role that he's going to play there on that line to be able to kind of speed it up um get in on the four check you know he's still a little wild with his game but if he's going to drive the net and he's going to cause some havoc for 35 or 40 seconds that is more than you were getting from the Blay Ryan Carpenter Ryan Reeves line and and I thought that the move to take Carpenter out along with Reeves was an interesting one and it seemed to pay dividends last night well you know what it's it's almost like this for Goche right can you accept your role right now as being a fourth line player and doing the things on those lines that at the end of your shift, can you say, I won my shift? I come back to the bench and you can say, I won the shift. Yeah. And that's so important, especially with the responsibility that it does take after a goal scored. Whether you score or your opponent scores, the next line over the boards, can you win your shift? And it's so nice when you see certain teams be able to go to the fourth line and say, the coach can say, beyond a reasonable doubt, I believe that right now we can put our fourth line out there and win this shift. And now you're carving out a role. And not everybody's willing to do it, Arthur. It's, it's, it's what I saw my entire career going through the minor leagues. Some guys that scored in junior just can't fathom being in a role on the fourth line and would rather not do that for 12 minutes a night and play for $65,000 in the American Hockey League and try and be a top-line guy. I never understood it. And, you know, it's the same that goes for Jimmy Beasy on a PTO now playing on the first line. You've got two of your core four forwards that you're playing with. What an opportunity. But don't forget, Jimmy, your same role right now exists on this line. Go in first. Yeah. Win the four check. Get the puck back. Because Kreider and Zibanejad aren't going to do that as much as you may want them to. But they're going to be on that line ready to set you up if you set up the play. And Jimmy goes to the net hard in the third period. He creates a rebound that then Zibanejad cleans up. But that's a great goal for him, right? Yeah. So that's a step forward. Um, Kravtsov had a very noticeable night on his line with Trocek and Panarin. I, I agree with you. Like As much as I like the puck protection that Kako brings and Heedle playing heavier, um, you still want to see a little more, more than just the one-and-dones from them. Yeah. And, and I think they're going to come. They've, just, they've had their moments this year coming on after the power play one is, is, is expired. 
Uh, look, I love this lineup. To me, this is a winning lineup. Uh, the recipe of the game last night was right where I like it scoring chances-wise as a team. They had eight high danger, and they had 12 low danger. To me, that's the winning recipe for hockey. You're not warming up the goalie with a bunch of outside shots. You're actually making it really hard on him to even get into a groove or a rhythm in the game. And look, I went over the um, the lineup of games that we've seen so far this year, and I could say that with the Rangers right now sitting at seven five and three, they could easily be ten four and one. They've had they've had five games where they've had forty or more shots, and they have a one and four record in those games. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's plenty of offense on this team, Arthur. There are so many areas to get excited about. Um, I was looking at this this morning as well because I'm already preparing for Nashville tomorrow. But listen to this. Rangers in chances four. Okay, they've had 25 breakaways this year. That's third in the NHL. Broken plays, they've had 41. They've created 41 broken plays around the net. That's second. They've had 55 one-timers. That's second. Slot area open looks, they've had 43. That's third. Slot line plays, the east to west pass, 50 of those, third. Screens, they've had net front presence. They've got 44 of those this year. That's seventh. Deflections, 17th. There are 17 of them. They've had 10, or excuse me, I said it backwards, they're 10th. But the point is, is that's a a well-balanced way to look at your offense. It's not as fancy as everybody may think it is. They've got some, they've got some grit in that as well with the screens and getting into the slot and one timers. So there's a lot here and uh, offense is certainly not something that I'm concerned with. It's going to come. The shooting percentage is still wildly low, but a night like last night certainly helps scoring eight times. Yeah, and and uh, just to take a quick look back at uh, at Tuesday's game, which was uh, a four three loss to the Islanders when they were up three one going into the third period, uh, and I I think I, I went back as far as I could since I was writing uh, after the game. I couldn't find a game in the last six years uh, that the Rangers have lost in regulation when leading by two going into the third. Um, and this was their second straight blown two goalie. They'd blown it a little earlier against the Red Wings, and the game against the Red Wings was not a good one, and 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 Gerard Gallant seemed responded pretty appropriately by shuffling the lines and dropping Chris Kreider down the fourth line, had some shuffled lines for the Islanders game. I thought the Islanders game was probably like start to finish, maybe their third best game of the year. And I, you know, everyone seemed kind of incredulous in the room. Gerard Gallant certainly seemed incredulous. He was more pissed off about the no call on when Wallstrom took Kako skates out from under him before the winning goal. Um, but just taking a look back at that one, that was a game that they played probably better from start to finish than they played last night in Detroit and and got nothing out of it. And when you're not going well, as they were kind of coming into it, coming off of that that kind of eh, Detroit game and, a, and not a great game against Boston, obviously it can look worse because it's zero points and you need points. But do you think that there's anything that this group understands the way that they have to play well enough? There's enough veterans here. There's enough buy-in with with the coach that has been there for almost a hundred games now that, that they can at least, and they certainly did by winning last night, that they can say, we deserve to win that game as they did, as Gallant did say afterwards and not have it seem like we're just trying to, we're just trying to talk ourselves into feeling like we played well. They did play well and it just didn't work out. They did play well. And look, I'm glad that when we get into the post game and my opening comment is really my overall feel on the game. Gallant backed, my feeling up and and what he said was 
basically, I'm not going to get out here in front of you guys and lose my composure and empty the chamber on this team right now. I know that we're going to turn this around because I know how well we played. And that's why he's a good coach, because he has a very good understanding of what just happened on the ice and have a measured approach and not come down on your team and be negative. It wasn't the time for that. In fact, when things are going well, but you're not getting results, it's so important for coaches not to overreact because you can spin your team into a struggling stretch. Now, my nights at MSG when we have a home game and I'm working alone, I have to go across the street several times. Uh, from the pregame on the bridge back to the final segment, I've got to get to the fifth floor studio. So I'm going back across seventh. And then I've got a chase hit to do in the third period. I'm coming back across seventh. I can miss two and three minutes at certain points for home games. So I have to make that time up when I get back into the green room and I can look at my computer and I can make sure that, uh, you know, I'm catching up at a commercial break. But at the end of that game, after the post game, I wanted to make sure that I had a very good feeling of what just happened there. So I just told myself on my ride home, look, I'm going to watch the game tomorrow as I'm setting up my day. I'm thinking about what my you know plan is going to be. And I'm going to watch that game again because I want to be sure. Because I thought it was a very well played game that if you play 10 times, you win eight of them and not to overreact. So look, I know I may have came off even in the post game for blaming Igor for, for the loss because it's eight shots against and three goals against in the third period. And you're really expecting uh, Igor to be that guy that stays up at that moment. And, you know, I've been talking to Henrik about this a lot too, because it's, it's a different part of the game now for Igor because there's expectations. And Hank and I went out for a beer last night after the post game. And I was like, just tell me about the expectations because you won a Vesna. Do, do you feel like every night that very next season you've got to be first star? And he's like, you know, you, you kind of fight with that a little bit because you, you don't want to think about it. If you're ever focused on results, you're not playing your game and you're chasing things that are uh, just more of a distraction than anything that's ever going to help you. And, you know, like I looked back at Igor's season last year too and his October, he's a 947 save percentage, and it's very consistent through November, December, January, February. And there was a lot of MVP talk in March and April, yeah. right? And that's when his game kind of slipped a little bit, Arthur. He went down to a 916 in March and a 917 in April. And after those expectations went away, he, he just played his game, finished out his season, and he already had the Vesna locked up. Now, the one thing that I've noticed about Igor this year is that he has been underperforming when the team is up by a goal, save percentage-wise. All right, so there's a pretty you know long list here of, of good goalies, and, and kind of just stick with me here. There's been 67 goalies that have played in the NHL uh, this season. And based on save percentage on performance when you're up by a goal and you got to close games out for your team, Igor Shosturkin's 60th. and wow. And some of the other goalies... On this list may shock you too, but it's it's big guys. It's it's Jacob Markstrom, sixty second, and Bennington and Kemper, who won a Stanley Cup last year with big expectations in Washington. Now uh, Bobrovsky on a big contract, and things aren't you know going well for him in Florida, sixty fifth. And Demko, you've seen how things have gone in Vancouver. He's sixty seventh. But why does the mindset change when you're up by a goal? Game conditions are a very real thing, Arthur. When you get up by a couple and you know that you've spit back a couple of leads in recent weeks, that can get in your head, you know, and, and you push it out and you do your best just to 
call yourself out and say, next puck, now here. And, you know, you put that noise away. But I, I just think that Igor is going through it a little bit. And the reason why I think that is that when I watch the uh, Islander game again, and I get to just abuse my space bar because I can pause it on every single pass. It helps me watch the game through that lens because I'm looking at a sequence in the third period where the puck's in the high slot, it's on the backhand, and the Islanders are moving the puck a little bit down, down towards Igor, and he goes down and up. And then the puck moves again, and he goes down and up. And it was five times on one sequence where the puck was moving around the net far enough away where Igor went down and up five times, but the puck never reached the net. Now, Benoit Allaire would always say to Henrik and I, and I know he was specific with me about this, if it was a really good game, he would say, Valley, great game. You were on your feet all night. You never bit. You never went down early. And when you go down early, it's because you're pressing. You're, you're looking for saves, like the Palmieri goal where you know, he goes open into a full stretch, but it goes five-hole. He's looking for a save there. He's looking to get hot. He's looking to get the crowd behind him. That's not the way goaltending is played. You receive the play and your response and contact. If I was explaining goaltending to a 10-year-old, I'd say that when you make contact with the puck, if it's a low blocker save, then your knees come to the ice. You're not on the ice with your knees and then reaching and extending up with your hands. And most of his saves in that Islander game were knees on the ice, and then getting a glove save up. And you can't be consistent that way. And that's why the Brock Nelson one-timer goes in, because his movement is early. And the pellet goal to start the third, which is 14 seconds into the third period, he's got motion backwards, he was forwards. He just wasn't playing his game. Uh, am I worried about Igor Shosturkin? No, it's actually probably the best-case scenario. This team's off to a really good start in terms of team play. I think they're defending well enough. They're getting plenty of offense. I love their power play again. <laughs> again. And <laughs> and Shesterkin, if he's the weakest link right now or the guy that out of the entire roster that just has to find his game, then this team's in, in, in really in a position, I would say, to go on a run shortly. Do you feel like, you know, he did kind of skip a turn with that Columbus game a few weeks ago that, that kind of began a little bit of the, the nosedive because uh, Yara Halak just wasn't very good. <clears throat> and Halak was very good against Detroit and frustrated that they the team kind of stopped playing in front of him after they got up to. Um, do you feel like it's a scenario for Igor where uh, if it happens again, whether it's tomorrow night in Nashville, um, next week when they go back on the road to, uh, out to the West Coast, do you want to see him take a breather? Do you need, do you need to see... Halak play a couple in a row so so Shesterkin can kind of reset and work with Benny um, away from the pressure of being in a game? Or do you feel like Shesterkin is the kind of guy that that can play through it and, and fix it on the fly? I think it's the rhythm of the season. He needs to play more. And the reason why I say that is that in my experience with Henrik, I would almost never play when Henrik wasn't playing well. And when he was playing well, I got more starts. because. He's our, he's our rock. He's our guy. And I, I was very conscious of this. When Henrik was going well, I knew that, okay, this next one could be mine. So when I approach the coach on the ice and say, hey, coach, am I playing tomorrow? I have pretty good confidence that he's going to say yes if Henrik just uh, won three or four in a row. But typically coming off a shutout, Hank plays again because that's just a different thing. But no, I, I, think, it's a, I think it definitely matters to get into the rhythm of a season. And if 
Shesterkin doesn't have his timing. That We have to be specific about it. He doesn't have his timing right now. He's going to get his timing if he gets more games, more shots. And look, a lot of these games, he's not getting a lot of shots right now because the team's defending yeah. well. And this is this is also something that he's working through. He's working through expectations, maintaining his timing while not getting a lot of work, which is okay too because you know you don't want your goalie to have to be the story every night for the reason why you won. And this is helping him learn the NHL and go through this experience. Um, he had a really good play. Like I was even looking back at again the expectations conversation, and I look back at the Eastern Conference Final last year. He had a nine thirty three save percentage in the Eastern Conference Final. You know, it's amazing the Rangers weren't able to beat Tampa. But yeah. it's not too often you see a goalie perform that well over six games and not win the series. This guy has just had such a remarkable career. He started his career as a Ranger 9-1. and one. Like, he's he's really been great at being able to come in, not as, I don't want to call it an underdog, but a, a prove-it scenario. He's always been in the prove-it, like prove you're the best. Prove you're the guy that was in the KHL dominating. Well, he did that last year, you know. And now he's proved everything. And everyone says, well, do it again. And that's where Henrik was really relaying to me what it felt like for him, which, you know, you work through it a little bit and you're patient with yourself and you're trying not to judge yourself too harshly because you have to realize, too, as a goalie, Arthur, you're not going to be first star every night. Even though you believe you can be the best player on the ice, it's not going to be perfect out there. And in your imperfect moments, can you still be good enough to give your team a chance to win? Well, the other uh, aspect of this current trip and the, the game last night was, if you were watching the, the broadcast, uh, we saw a lot of the Ranger dad's uh, brothers. I think there's at least one brother. There's a couple of uh, family friends. Uh, it's a nice assortment, and uh, it's one of those traditions that uh, has, you know, I'm sure you can you can amplify it. Um, it's kind of come up in the last 20, 25 years or so in, in the NHL, something that that a lot of teams do. Some teams do mom's trips. I think the Rangers did a mom's trip uh, not too long ago. But um, but it's great. It's great, you know, if you're around the team and you see all the dads and you can see how excited they are to be there and even just the shots in the in the suite in, uh, in Little Caesars Arena last night. Obviously, it was a good night for the Rangers, but um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of camaraderie that, you know, you're a bunch of guys, uh, some retired, some not retired, maybe – Guys who played, maybe guys who didn't, and they all have one thing in common, which is their sons or their brothers are are on the ice right there, and that's a fun feeling. Um, did you have any uh, memorable dad's trip moments, Valley, when uh, when you were playing? Memorable or forgettable? <laughs> <laughs> Could be both. Do tell. Oh my goodness! So uh, I was there for the first two, and um, the third one actually got shut down from torts. <laughs> Might have been because of my father. Um, so we were, we were in Chicago and the fathers were overserved and we get on the bus, we get on the bus and the fathers are just, I just took one look at my father because we sit next to our fathers on the bus, getting back to the hotel. We were staying at the peninsula in Chicago and I just see my father and I say to myself, Oh no, I am tucking this guy in right now. I am bringing him (laughs) upstairs and tucking him in. Now he was in a separate room from me because the previous year we were in Boston he snored so much, I didn't sleep all night. And I told my mother, I was like, I'm putting dad in another room for this <laughs> for this road trip. So that turns out to be a mistake. Now, anyhow, I, I tuck him in and uh, they, they had deep dish pizzas for us already set in our room. So he had something more to eat and, he went, he, and I assumed that was it for him. So I meet the boys out at the restaurant and all the fathers are there. 
And all the fathers, of course, where's your dad? Where's Rob? Where is he? Is he coming? And I go, guys, listen, he's tucked in. He's done. And uh, I sit down for dinner with everybody. And out of nowhere, my father walks into the restaurant. And I'm just like, you can see my face flush. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And the fathers are just going nuts. Valley, valley, valley. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God. So he comes in. We get through dinner. And now we go out to a, a bar afterwards with our fathers. And it's getting late. And I'm just seeing my dad starting to misbehave. So I go up to Gomer. I'm going, Gomer, I'm out of here, man. I'm, I'm pulling out. Can you take care of my dad? He's like, yeah, I'll make sure he gets in a cab. I'll make sure he's all set. So that was the last I saw my father. The next morning, we had a 7 o'clock bus. We had to get a 7 o'clock bus to the flight. Uh, we were flying to Pittsburgh. And I'm in the lobby. Typically for hockey guys, you're in the lobby at 6.50 for a 7 o'clock bus. There's no messing around. You're, you're 10 minutes early. And everybody's down there, and I'm looking through the fathers, and I see Carlos Gomez. I'm like... Mr. Gomez, uh, you see my father by any chance? No, Steve, haven't seen him since last night, you know. Okay, uh, Gomer, my dad, was all right last night? Yeah, I got him in a cab. Okay, so we know he's here. And <laughs> and he's not coming down. And, and the, t the clock is ticking, and I'm panicking, okay, because I'm a bubble player, I'm a backup goalie, and this is not a good look. And I go to the lobby and I ask the guys at the lobby, the bellman, if he could possibly get somebody to knock on my father's door in his room. He's not answering his cell phone. He's not answering the hotel room phone. He's not answering anything. And now the, the bizarre thing about the peninsula is it's a split lobby. There's a downstairs lobby. There's an upstairs lobby. My father knows that he's meeting us in the lobby, but does he know which lobby? And keep in mind, my dad has never been late for anything in his life. He hasn't been late for anything in his life. He's an electrician, he owned his own business, and he's very punctual. So they can't find him. They're knocking on his door, calling him, and now it's, it's panic time. We have two buses in front of the peninsula, and I'm now on the bus looking for my father. Maybe he snuck in somewhere, and now there's two buses to get on. And you have to imagine, when you get onto the bus, you've got to get through the coaching staff, the general manager and everything. And Shoney grabs, Jim Schoenfeld grabs my arm, he goes, Valley find your fucking father. And I'm like, oh my God. And he goes, I'm sick of smelling the exhaust of this bus in front of me. <laughs> and okay, panic, panic sets in. Now the first bus leaves. Now it's after seven, it's 7.05. Now he's officially late. Now I'm officially an idiot. And Okay, I think that one of the bellmen finds, uh, you know, a way to get into the room and, and grabs my father and gets him out of bed and he's packing up his bag. And I'm notified at the second lobby that, um, beware, your dad's coming down the elevator. I'm like, okay, fine. He's probably, this is like 7.07 now. Comes down the elevator, but he's nonchalant. He's walking slowly. And I'm like, dad, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, he goes, he says to me, he goes, Okay, man, relax. I got here as quickly as I could. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You got here as quickly as you could. And I grab his bag and he, the fathers were given bags from the Rangers and it's like connected to the top of his bag because he's got the wheels on his bag and it's, it's like connected. I can't get it off. And, and, you know, at the same time, I'm looking at my dad's bag. He's got a leopard skin bag that he's traveling with that my mom gave him. It's just like, it's just everything just doesn't look right. Finally got him on the bus and we get ourselves in. I mean... He gets on the bus. This is the last part of the story, too. He gets on the bus, and he calls my mom, and he says, 
Ma, he goes, blonde. Oh, I got to tell you what my dad calls. My dad calls my mother blondes because she's got blonde hair and they met when they were teenagers and it's always been blonde. So he's on the phone. He goes, blondes, you wouldn't believe this. Steve's all over me. I was hardly even late. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I was, oh, I was all over him on the entire ride and then on the flight. But uh, we got over it and it's a great story now. But I'll tell you what, it helps so much to have the dads on those trips because you remember your childhood when you're with them. They bring the, the, the memories just flood back and you love the time that you had as a youth hockey player. And all of us had really good experiences with our parents. Like we share them all. Was your dad an uptight guy? Was he all over you? Was he relaxed? And my dad, you know, Arthur, he would sit in the back and just be very quiet at games and take in the entertainment, whether it went good, bad, or indifferent. He was always very supportive. So um but uh yeah not a good look for the backup goalie i'll tell you that one. Oh my goodness well I, I don't know if we can top that with anything so i think we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to step out on that note steve as always great stuff and a fantastic story i hope your dad uh, will still be a faithful listener and <laughs> not be too upset at that one coming back up oh he deserves it he deserves it <laughs> thanks buddy we'll talk to you soon And thanks, everybody out there, for listening to The Garden Faithful. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Steve Valiquette, Arthur Staple, Chris Flannery running the show. We appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you again soon.